cheat. I think people are not meant to be monogamous. Ooh. And that is why people cheat. I don't know. If penguins can do it. Why can't we? Yeah, hey, but penguins, penguins, are, penguins also, are monogamous. Penguins also will fuck for better rocks for their nests. They will whore themselves out for better rocks. Yeah, and what do you think women are doing now with I diamonds? I have never fucked anyone for a diamond. Uh, not yet, that you know of. Maybe you maybe they just didn't have the diamond to give you. But if if someone said, I might give you I might give you a diamond, depending on the size of the diamond, I mean, I might go for it. I mean, yeah, if someone's and like, I'm happily I will in give a relationship. You, honestly, if someone was like, I will give you a one carat diamond if you have sex with me, I, I mean, sure. I could sell that. It's a lot of money. And speaking of selling out, welcome back to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands, everybody. <laughs> I would also give someone a blowjob for the COVID vaccine. Oh, no. I th- See, that's a little bit. I, I don't think I'd go that far yet. That's what the person I'm talking to said. I said, then Wait, you also, don't really want it. Which one? Because if it's the Pfizer, you're going to need a second one, and then you're going to have to go back. And no, what, do you, no, what do you do? Do you give a second no, no, no. blowjob for the second dose? D- no, it's a one-time deal. Yeah, but how can you guarantee that you're going to, like, that day, of course, you, you can give it to them, and then you can give the slop, the sloppy toppy, but then when you come back two weeks for the next dose, what's to say that they're not just like, Then I'll give them no. one twice. See? Now we're com- now we're committing double, though. That's it, fine. I, I'd have to be like, is it the Moderna one? Because that one's only one. and be like, okay. Johnson & Johnson is also the only one. I would, so I'm not putting it in my mouth, um, but, I, yeah, I, I'd rub it out, you know. That for it maybe longer. You don't know, man. Maybe you haven't been doing it for 26 years. All right. Okay. Not 26. Cause I would have been say, zero. Uh... I would have been zero, but like, you know, 14. Yeah. yeah. Just about that. You know? So like, you're right. I have not been jacking men off I have, for 14 years. I have mastered the skills. All right. That's fair. So mm, my name is Kashan. I'm so, if you're just tuning in, I'm really glad you've met me on that point. Uh, <laughs> sitting here with, Nina Kern. Uh, sorry if I'm a little bit off today. I went ham last night. I've been hungover all day. I did, and I did seven hours of research before this episode. He did seven hours of research because he was so hungover he couldn't focus. He had you, to puke the whole time. You try reading pages upon pages of things on a computer for hours hungover. It's terrible. Yeah, I didn't know. I've never done it. So, <laughs> and that's why I don't celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I mean, we were going to drink no matter what. We were just having a get together. It just happened to be on St. Oh, Patrick's oh, Eve, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. So I did, we made it St. Patrick's themed mildly. All right. There, yeah. You made a green drink. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. So there wasn't no even a Guinness. beef. No. Just Popeye's chicken. Love that chicken from Popeye's. Love that. Oh, no, I can't do it. I was going to try to say that in an Irish accent, and I suck at Irish accents. I'm glad you did. So you'll Top do all. No, you. You'll do all of the other terrible accents you do, but when it comes to Irish, you're like, no. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, if I do a shitty French accent, I'm doing it shitty on purpose. If I do a Cockney accent, I'm doing it bad on purpose. But it still sounds like I kind of am trying. All right. But like Irish, it's like you are just missing the mark. <laughs> Great. I've already done an Irish accent on this show, so it's fine. Do it again. Top of the morning, boy. How are you doing today? I love that chicken from Popeye's. <laughs> oh, yeah, though. No, that's bad. Yeah, I told you. For sure. Um, so let's just get right into the subject matter. <clears throat> it's February 2nd, 2003, and Adriano D'Souza was having a night like many others in his life. 
As a chauffeur for the affluent members of Hollywood, you drive a lot of famous people back to their mansions with randoms that they wind and dined across L.A. Hell yeah. This night, D'Souza had a titan of music producing in the Mercedes limousine that he was driving. He was toting Phil Spector and a hostess that he had met at the House of Blues, a well-known music venue. He was driving from the club 40 miles to Spector's residence in Alhambra, California. Then, at 5 a.m., Two hours after they climbed the steps to the 33-room mansion, a gunshot rings out. And as D'Souza exits the limousine to check on the sound, a blood-spattered Phil Spector emerges from the back door of his home with a revolver in his right hand and says, I think I just killed someone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so here's my thing. All right. If it's 40 miles away from L.A., how was she planning on getting home? Chauffeur. That guy was going to drive her back home? Yeah, man. So he was going out with other people this night, and literally, like, the two other people he went out with, the chauffeur drove them home and then came back. Oh, okay, that's fair. So it's just, his job is just to do drive wherever the fuck they tell him to drive. And then he just sat in yeah, the limo? Yeah, just, he just waited. Got it. Okay. I'm sure they pay him hourly, so he's Oh, sit, yeah, for sure. He's sitting there, this was 2003, so he's, like, got a Game Boy... Oh, yeah, Game Boy Advance. Yeah, man. He's playing some Pokemon Ruby. Yeah, some Super Mario. He's fine. So, uh, Harvey Philip Specter, so uh, Phil, not his first name, but went by it, nevertheless, uh, was born December 26, 1939, to Benjamin and Bertha Specter. Uh, and they were a first generation Ukrainian Jewish family in the Bronx, home of the Yankees. Yep. So, I, I still have some residual baseball on the mind. Oh. I drove a minivan through the Bronx once, and I hated that time of my life. It was very stressful. What a story. It's stressful. Have you ever had to drive a minivan through the Bronx? No, I can't say that I have. The streets are tiny. I bet. Uh, His parents, by the way, may have been first cousins because they both, both their grandpas had the same name. Both of them were, they changed their name to George Spector when they assimilated, when they came over. And both of their, like documents their immigration documents were witnessed by someone by an isador specter same name too so he thinks that they have the same grandpa so his cousins his parents might have been first cousins that explains why phil specter looks the way he looks yeah he looks like um oh what did i say he looked like he looked like you know bruno the sasha baron cohen movie (laughs) he looks like really old like cracked out bruno yes he does that's exactly what he looks like yeah because he, he wears that have... same wig well he does, yeah he wears that wig and he doesn't have a super normal face <laughs> no well we'll talk about why his face might be not I mean, normal there are a, a lot, lot later of reasons. phil specter has a lot of reasons why his face doesn't look normal yeah, but there's a really big but one incest could be one of them perhaps uh then in april 1949 when specter was 10 very tragically his father committed suicide uh, by gun. Because he was fucking his cousin. <sighs> I, okay, we don't, I mean, we I'm don't sorry. know that. My God. <laughs> wait, how, like, I'm trying to set the tone, all right? And, like, I'm like, oh, this is morbid. I'm going to go ahead and soften my voice. And you're like, ah, it's because he was fucking his cousin. And then on his headstone, it's important. It was written, Ben Spector, father, husband. To know him was to love him. Uh, and in an interview uh, with a bearded specter in what I can only assume was the 70s, he was wearing like a purple velvet suit Hot. and he had a pool table in front of him. Specter referred to this incident by saying like, 
it was hard to live normally when your father blows his head open. And I was like, that's not a good way to take that. Like he he's you can tell when they bring it up, even when he's older in older interviews, he's not processed this trauma yeah i mean at all and he was he was 10 and he also said that he thought it happened when he was like five or six so he doesn't even remember the like his age but yeah, we I mean, know clearly it was traumatizing. we know how old he was yeah clearly it was super traumatizing i mean this was the 40s early 50s yeah therapy wasn't i mean mental health was not take it was just not no therapy was not accessible like it is now so it's not shocking that he didn't process that yeah i mean especially you know uh he's a man his father was a man and you know you're told to like not feel emotions Mm -hmm. so especially during that time was super toxic masculinity yeah just messed him up uh but specter himself says that he was has always been an outcast uh, his whole life he he said it when he was older when he was younger whenever they asked him about it he's like i've always been an outcast you know uh, he was physically bullied through high school, uh, but he said that he would gain protection from bullying by helping the football players get better grades in their classes. And then in return, they would like protect him like a mob. If it worked, it worked. And, and it did, I guess. But he said that he was still like ridiculed or whatever. But he also went on this big tirade like for four minutes where he's, he talks about how everyone else in his graduating class was fucking worthless. He said that like their saying, their graduating saying was dare to be different. And he was like, and I was the only one who ever dared to be different. None of them even, like, no one even became a registered nurse. They don't do anything. They they don't help to society. No one does that in my class, except for me. I was like, okay. All right, dude, it's been, like, I don't know, 60 years. Let it go. Yeah, and, and he, like, he always thought people were, like, after him, too. Like, he, you can definitely tell that he's a little bit paranoid. Like, mm-hmm. he, I saw these pictures in front of his... A mansion that have like seven like do not trespass signs on it like there's an armed guard like you will be shot like stuff like that and like it was very uninviting and i think he's just very uninviting as a person i mean um and although he was ostracized at school and distanced himself at least a little bit uh he did fit in with a group of musicians that he met while attending fairfax high school after his family moved to la where his mother found work as a seamstress and after high school he formed a band with three of those musicians that he met at his high school, and it was called the Teddy Bears. Aww. And he also learned about producing. So he made this band and he learned about producing music because he would just go hang around at random record studios throughout mm-hmm. L.A. until someone just talked to him. And that's he, not weird at all. It, I mean, it was the it was the 50s right so you just did stuff like that yeah there was no internet or anything so the way you talk to people is you just gotta like hang out until you be like hey hey i'm i'm phil hey you've been here six days in a row what do you want will you teach me how to produce a record hey get in here kid you know Uh, because he did actually meet someone he met uh uh, Stan Ross, he was the co-owner of the Gold Star Studios in Hollywood. Then he brought him in and he started teaching him how to produce records, how to mix and, you know, how to work with musicians. And this whole time, he's also writing and being a musician himself because in the Teddy Bears, he was the guitarist, but he was also their songwriter. So he wrote a single called a Don't Worry My Little Pet, which every song from the 50s, by the way, is weird. Yeah, it sounds Molesty. Yeah, it sounds like either molesty or like super misogynistic. It's both. Everything. All of them. So this is so we wrote Don't Worry My Little Pet, which led the teddy bears to sign a multi-single, so it was for multiple singles, uh, with Era Records. Nice. And then during the next session after signing, uh, Spectre wrote a song, which sounds a lot like a love song when you listen to it. 
Uh, but it's actually about his dead dad, and it's named after that inscription we mentioned on his headstone. It's called, To Know Him Is To Love Him. Aw, sad. <laughs> yes. And the song was a huge success. They got number one on the Billboard Hot 100, which this was a, they just introduced the Billboard Top 100 too. This was the seventh number one single oh, ever. Oh, interesting. Ever on the Billboard Top 100. The single sold over a million copies in that year. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Good for you, Phil. Now, that being said, well, remember he does kill someone later. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying that was, I can, I can say. I can I can say it was an accomplishment. Okay, yes. He, the thing is, he does become very accomplished in music, as we'll see. But I will also want everyone at home to remember. He's still that, shitty. Yeah, when we're talking about him, we're going to talk he was very successful. But when we're talking about the successes, remember, mm, he's kind of shitty. Because we're going to talk about those after that. So the Teddy Bears, they didn't really write another song that uh, got any sort of success compared to To Know Him Is To Love Him. So... They kind of went their separate ways after a little bit, but because the success from that one hit wonder, he met a man named Lester Sill, who was a former promotion man who introduced Spectre to an extremely influential lyricist and composer combo, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. And they wrote a bunch of songs and produced a bunch of songs throughout the uh, 50s and 60s, but they did a Hound Dog from Elvis. Uh, they did Yakety Yak. They did Stand By Me. Wow. All songs that even if you don't listen to music from that era, you've you probably you've probably heard. Like, if you go and play these, you'll know them. You'll know them. And Spectre came on as an apprentice with them. And he actually even co-wrote um, a Benny King uh, top 10 hit called Spanish Harlem, which I had actually not heard before, but it's a, it's a very nice song. But it was kind of the thing that launched him into stardom, you know, top 10. Nice. Uh, and he also played guitar. He played the guitar solo on the Drifters hit song on Broadway. Look at you, Phil. Um, now, this was the start of a very decorated music career for Phil Spector as a producer. So he started out uh, playing the guitar and being a songwriter, which he will continue to write songs later. But he really started being a producer from here on out. And the reason he was so big is because Phil Spector is accredited with the creation of a music production technique called the wall of sound, mm -hmm. which is basically a lot of radios and jukeboxes at the time played songs in mono, not stereo. So the same thing comes out of both speakers. Yes. Or okay. or there's only one speaker. So what he would do is he would like the wall of sound is described as being very orchestrally dense. Okay. So you put a bunch of really dense layers together of a bunch of different instruments. So like an example of this would be if you have an acoustic piano part on something, he would have the same part played also on an electric piano and a harpsichord, and then he'd line them up and blend them so much together that you couldn't tell the difference anymore. So it's just out of like one oh, instrument. Oh, interesting. But it gives like a full body sound coming out of a mono Okay, speaker. instead of just having the one. Yeah, and it plays really well on AM radios and on um, jukeboxes. Ah, interesting. So it was like revolutionary way to mix music for the time. He used these tactics to get success as a freelance record producer, turning out top 10 hits such as Corin Karina, I think. That, I don't know. That one I hadn't heard of. Pretty Little Angel Eyes. I do know that one. Pretty Little Angel, Pretty Little Angel, Pretty Little Angel Eyes. Not weird at all. Yeah, I know a lot of really old music, uh, so I might be different about this. Like this whole podcast is just sometimes a tour of like the weird things that I that, that I know like, oh, or am wow, interested why in. Do I know that. Or it's like Kashan is two a years younger than weirdo. Nina, but he knows all of the old man things. Well, 
but I don't know anything. <laughs> like, I was raised in a bubble. So that's not really like, you I, know. I feel like they would have let you listen to this music, right? Um, there was... 50s music is back, you know, when uh, it, was a, it was a simpler time. You can listen to that music. Even though it was like mostly about like dating 16-year-olds. And most of them were about sex, just very veiled. Um, there was some oldies music that I was allowed to listen to. I didn't really listen to anything from the 50s. Right. There was some 60s music I listened to, but... Right. Um, well, we'll get there. I think my parents themselves just didn't like 50s music, which is fucking fair. Because it's not that good. It's okay. It's fine. It's okay. There's some good ones in there. It's fine. Including another song that he helped produce, which was the Top Notes original recording of Twist and Shout. Shake it up, baby. Now. Shake it up, baby. Twist we can't, and shout. We can't sing too much or we get content matched. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, so in 1961, uh, Spectre and Lester Sill, that promotion man from earlier, formed their own record label called Phillies Records, which says that it was a combination of their two first names. But tell me how Phil and Sill combined to Philly, because I don't know. Well, Phil and the... I see it. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's just Phil, and then an E's. There's no E's but in Sill. Sill's name. Phil, Sill. And yeah, but it, it's no. E's. It's a com- it's supposed to be a combination of Phil and Lester. Well, they fudged it. His name is Lester. Oh. There's no Lester in Phillies. It says it was a combination of their two first names. Well, they were wrong. Exactly. I don't know. I just wanted someone to also feel my anger at that. Yeah, no, they were they were incorrect. Well, this record label immediately signed uh, the Crystals. Which produced two top 20 hits. Uh, There's no other parentheses like my baby and Uptown. Uh, And then Spectre, during this time, even though he had the record label, he did continue to work as a freelance producer as well. So he was helping to produce songs like Zippity Doo Dah uh, and finally produced a single for the Ronettes, uh, the lead singer of which would later become his wife. And that song is titled Be My Baby, which is probably the one that I would recognize the most from the stuff he did early on because uh, it went all the way up to number two and it's been used a bunch in like movies and stuff. So, oh, and fun fact, uh, at this time, he also released a Christmas album. So he only wanted to release singles. He thought that releasing whole albums were stupid. He said that it was like two gems of gold and 10 pieces of trash. I mean, he's not wrong. No, I kind of get that. There are some albums that are just like bops. Yeah, top, no, Top to true. bottom though. You know, it's just, you got to be good. But he did... <laughs> He did uh, put an album together that was a Christmas album with like a bunch of people performing that was under a contract with Philly's records. But they just happened to drop it, planned to drop it like two days after Kennedy got assassinated. Man. So it's just really bad timing. So the country country just wasn't really interested in buying Christmas music because the president mm. was just murdered. So it doesn't go with holiday cheer. So it flopped. But I guess a couple of songs on the album are now like mainstay Christmas songs that are still played today. So he was at a Ronette's show when Spectre heard another band. Uh, It's the Righteous Brothers perform. And he liked their sound so much that he bought out their contract and helped them to deliver hit singles such as You've Lost That Love and Feelin'. And the now rekindled song made popular by the Patrick Swayze movie Ghost, Unchained Melody. I enjoyed the film Ghost. Oh, my love. That's, that's Unchained Melody. I don't remember that song in that movie. See, uh, I remember the very... That's, that's literally like the iconic scene where he comes behind her and they're making the pop. I was just going to say 
that well, you know what that was not what I was listening. That the song was not my focus. Just looking at Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah, he's like coming behind her, and they're like making the pond. It's very erotic. My love, my darling. Yeah. So that was he produced that song. Um, the final signing on Philly's records uh, were some little names. You might have heard of them. Ike and Tina Turner. Oh, I've heard of them. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, just those small musical names. Yeah. Uh, he signed them in 1966, and then they recorded a single, River Deep, Mountain High, but unfortunately to little success because they were having trouble getting it played on, quote-unquote, white radio stations at the time. <sighs> because it, Y'all are racist. Because they saw it as a black song. So they want to play Super it. Super weird. It's like, like they were black. <laughs> But that was the thing, is that Phil Spector honestly produced a lot of mm-hmm. bands that had people of color. It was, like, the one thing that he was very progressive about, because he said that he grew up, like, really poor, and he understood that, like, it makes you fight harder to do things. And he thought that's why black musicians and and uh, just in general, like, they're better at doing things, because they've had to fight harder through oppression. I and I was like, oh, okay, Phil Spector, you okay. say a lot of crazy things. But that one... That one makes sense. Well, he also married the one of the Ronettes, and she was black. So he was fine with that interracial relationship. But, yeah, obviously, I can Tina Turner. Nothing ever happened from their career after this. Yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't even know who they are, honestly. So I, I've only heard of them. Obviously, that's place. a joke. They're yeah, very successful. Um, just for anyone out there, I don't know. Uh, so after after this, Spectre lost his enthusiasm for the label. He was just like, yeah, I kind of don't want to do this anymore. He got kind of worn down, I guess. I don't know. And he just got tired of producing. So he mentioned the aforementioned Ronnie Bennett, the lead singer of the Ronettes. And he became a recluse. He went to his house and just, like, shuttered himself in for, like, four years. Basically, like, their whole marriage. Yes. And we'll talk, we will talk about why. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, he just shuttered himself in. And that's what he liked doing. And he even said in one of the interviews, he's like, I don't understand how people think I'm difficult because you can't even get to me. If you can't, like, get to me and be around me, how can I be difficult? And I was like, yeah, maybe it's that that makes you yeah, difficult. Yeah, I think that would be what would make you difficult. Yeah, so he would do this. He would just go on periods of, like, years where he was sort of like, okay, I'm done dealing with people. I'm just going to go be in my house for four years and, like, barely ever come out to do anything That's ever. Weird. So in this one, there's not really a reason. The next one we're going to talk about has a reason, but he was just like, I don't want to do it. Mm, all right. And he stopped. So then in 1970... He finally got out when he was flown to England by someone close to none other than the Beatles. Nice. And he was flown out to produce a single for John Lennon, Instant Karma, which did very well. It ended up getting number three on the UK charts. Because of the success, he was invited by Lennon and George Harrison to work on a project for the Beatles, which they basically like, hey, we have all of these abandoned tapes because this was like right at the end of the Beatles. Like they were really not gelling with each other. Right. They were upset at each other all the time. They were like, we have all of these tapes. Can you mix them into a commercial album and just like do your best? Like to see if you can put it together into something that we can sell. And those tapes ended up turning out to be the chart topping album. Let it be oh, by the one? Beatles. That little album? Uh, that included... A number one single here in the States, which was The Long and Winding Road. Funny that it's not Let It Be. I, I thought it was going to be Let It Be. Let It Be was not a number one, I don't think. Um, but Long and Winding Road 
was. And it also had uh, Get Back on it. I actually listened to the whole album earlier. <laughs> Let it be. Yeah, I listened to the whole album oh. while, I, while I was doing the outline. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Paul McCartney, though, fucking hated it. He hated well, it so much. Paul. He especially hated the overdubbed version of The Long and Winding Road because he, like, you know, he did, he added all of his orchestral stuff, all of his instruments and stuff to it. And Paul hated it and also he was upset because he was never even asked that would be frustrating yeah he was never even asked he just did it and then they released it and then he was like i hate this like that why did why really, did no one that, ask me if this was okay as an artist i would think that would be extremely frustrating yeah well he hated it so much that in the early 2000s he released a version of let it be without any of phil specter's input that's called let it be ellipses naked i All listened right. to some of that too it's not it's not better I, d- sure I don't I don't agree with Paul McCartney. <laughs> I'm Paul sorry. Paul was just butthurt. He was just upset. He actually also said later, Paul McCartney was like, yeah, I was actually part of it. I was really upset that like an American producer was coming in and like taking over this great British band. Like he saw that it, it was like a attack. He's like, oh, the Americans take over the, you know. Those freaking colonizers. Fucking colonizers. Or traitors, rather. Yeah. <laughs> um, Harrison and Lennon, however, loved it. I mean, it is a good album, so yeah. I would also agree. They loved the work that Spectre did, and both of them continued to work with Spectre in their solo careers after that. He produced Harrison's number one album, uh, The Concert for Bangladesh, which won Album of the Year, and he also did many hit singles for Lennon, including God and pretty much the last one that he did, Imagine. Nice. So he produced all of those. But throughout the 70s, Spectre again started to withdraw from society and become a recluse again. Now, this is also why I mentioned earlier why his face was kind of messed up, because they think that part of this, like why he started withdrawing into himself starting in the 70s, is that in 1974, he was in a car accident where he was thrown through the windshield of his car and he needed three like hours of surgery, 300 facial stitches and 400 stitches in the back of his head. This is supposedly what caused his outlandish use of gaudy wigs later in life. I know if you guys have just Googled Phil Spector or you know anything about him, you've seen the picture of him in court with like the big yeah. poofy hair. That's not his real hair. No. It's a wig. Um, and also he talked about that in one of the interviews and he was like, yeah, I didn't think it was going to be that big. It took hours to do, but I wanted to do it to pay homage to Ben Wallace who was just like a point guard on like the Pelicans and the Clippers or something. And I was like, you did this to look like a basketball player? I don't know. And the, But then he was also, oh yeah, and like also Einstein though. Oh yeah, him too. And I was like, oh my God. He <laughs> makes no sense. No, he's crazy. But throughout this decade, he did work with the Ramones and Leonard Cohen. Uh, but after the 70s, he would retire completely from music. But what he had already done was enough to get him inducted into both the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1997. That is the only really good thing in Cleveland is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We've talked about what this man accomplished so far. How he amassed a net worth of $65 million. Dang. But under the harmonies that he made every day in the studio, his life was fraught with dissonance just beneath the surface. So now it's time to get mad at him. Yeah. So, so I gave the time to talk about his music career because it's important to know how uh, wealthy and how well off this man is before we get into what makes him bad. So firstly, I never mentioned his wife, Ronnie, again. And you you did mention the divorce, but I didn't. I purposely didn't want to mention it until now because we're going to get all the bad things all at once. So yeah, we should probably. 
Oh, yes. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot from here on out in the episode. Yeah. Um, that involves not only violence uh, and gun violence, uh, but also uh, sexual assault um, and domestic just, abuse. Yeah, just mental abuse and domestic, domestic abuse and abuse in general. Yeah. So if that's something you can't listen to, I probably wouldn't. Maybe you can just know about the musical career of Phil Spector and yeah. and just Google what he did later and have it in some ingestible way for you. Yeah, it's it gets pretty rough. Yeah, because from here on out, it's going to be bad. Yeah, fuck that guy. Um, so we never mentioned his wife, Ronnie, again. And this is because she filed for divorce after that first reclusive period in the late 1960s we talked about before he got picked up by the Beatles. Now, they had adopted three children. They adopted one, and then they also he also adopted a set of twins as a Christmas gift. That's the worst. <laughs> that is the worst. One, it's fucked up. And two, it's the worst Christmas gift. Like, and that's like when someone gives you a puppy, you know, and you're like, oh, thanks. You gave me a responsibility. This is really awesome of you, you know. But now it's two children. Yeah, that's. Did you buy them on the black market? Like, I what the I don't fuck? know. He's got so much money that he can probably just buy them on the normal kid market. An orphanage. I mean, for, to, I mean, to be honest, if, I mean, in what year was this? Like, in the 70s? I don't really think it was. It was in the late 60s. Yeah, so, like, I really don't think this had as many ropes as it does today. Yeah. I mean, but... they probably, they were just pulling kids off the street that were, like, eating rats. And they were like, ah, get the, some rich man wants you. Go. Yeah. Not like, like, like little feral, orphan like Annie. They didn't house. do it. There was no red tape with the little orphan Annie. They were like, "Oh, you want that bald? You want to go live with that bald guy? Do it." Yeah, he's rich. That's fine. Go it's ahead. Fine. Go ahead. He'll take care of you. So, yeah. Probably. Now I want to know: Did he wrap the kids up in like a box and a bow, or like how do you how do you present? No twins. He just put he put one of those oversized car bows on both of them. Just on both of them. That was it. How old were the twins? Do you know? I don't. I think they were like eight. Around there. What the fuck? Yeah, so. Okay. Eh. Um, That's so... I I didn't realize that before, like, the second, and I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah, and Spectre was also extremely controlling of all of them. Oh, Not shocking. only did he lock himself in the house and knock him out, but he locked them in. He locked his kids in their rooms, supposedly. This is straight from the kids, but, I mean, it's... If you... 100% believe them or not. I don't know. I don't think we have reason not to believe them. He would lock them in the room and there would just be like a pot for you to use as a toilet. And he just wouldn't let them out until he decided. And on top of that, he also locked Ronnie in. Like he would make it so she could not leave the mansion. And he hit, he also hid her shoes to dissuade her from walking outside because she'd have to do a barefoot. I hate him. Yeah. And... On top of everything, he would keep the house extremely dark so that no one could see his balding head because he was all weird about it. But he also had all those wigs, so, like, who cares? Just wear a wig. He also one night took Ronnie down into the basement and showed her, supposedly showed her a gold coffin with a glass top and said, if you ever leave me or try to leave me, I'm going to kill you and display you in this coffin. And he also, he forbid her from speaking to the Rolling Stones or from touring with him and the Beatles because he thought that she would be unfaithful. Did she know the Rolling Stones? He knew the Rolling Stones. Oh, okay. He worked with the Rolling Stones. Okay. So, like, when he was working with them, she couldn't she couldn't talk to them and she couldn't come along because if she said hi to them, you know, she might have sex with somebody. Sorry. I was just like, ugh. 
I have a lot of shivers. Yes, a lot of this is bad. Because I don't like it. So Ronnie did eventually escape the house barefoot, I might mention, because she did not have shoes and was picked up by her mom. And this was in 1972. And she filed for divorce, but she didn't apply. She didn't like try to get custody of the children because um, Spectre told her that he would hire a hitman to kill her if she did. <sighs> and because of this, the children were exposed to further abuse. And this 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 is really messed up. Um, at one point, they described as having to engage in sex acts with Phil Spector's then girlfriend. Uh, there was a direct quote from one of the from one of the children that um, he was like tied down and like molested by his girlfriend. And he allowed it to happen. And he told them it was like a growing thing that they were going to learn. It's really messed up. I, I and this is after he's, like, locking them in their rooms with just a pot to use as the bathroom. It's so fucked up. And on top of this, not only to his family, right? Like, obviously, he's messed up to his family. He's locking himself in and just abusing everyone around him. But he also has, like, a bunch of violent histories. And a lot of them involve guns. Yeah. This, this actually reminded me a lot of John DuPont when I started talking about it because John DuPont had that big fascination with guns. He always had guns. He would walk around with guns. As he got more paranoid, he would have more and more around him, and he'd use them more and more freely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spectre kind of did the same thing. He had a fascination with firearms. He always had one on him, and he was quick to pull it when angered. Uh, there are stories of him forcing Didi Ramon, the bass guitarist in the Ramones, to play the bass part to his specifications while pointing a loaded gun at him. And he also did this to Leonard Cohen. He said that he placed a loaded pistol to his head while he was recording the album. And it's even said, this one's not 100% verified, but it said that he like fired a gun in the studio while recording a single for John Lennon. What is just very surprising to me is that these people continued to work with him and that like he reached the level that he did because like... Yeah, that's the thing. And uh, we'll talk about it in in the wrap-up, but, like... I don't get it. That's a big takeaway from today, is, like, if you're so good and so influential, like, people give you too much rope. Yeah. Like, no one talked about it. Well, I'm sure... It's also a different time, but, like, come on. Okay, but at this... But, come on. He had loaded guns in the studio. I do think that... Well, he he did have a permit to carry them. Some of the other people in the Ramones were like, yeah, he had a permit. He kind of did it, but, you know... Okay, there's a huge difference between I have a permit... And pulling I'm, and pulling it on someone, yeah. Pulling it, on that's threat. That's threatening. But he was he was insane. He's like a Stanley Kubrick, but for music, where he would yeah. like he made the Ramones play the opening chord to a song for eight hours straight. Oh my! So that was just the kind of person it was to work with. Yeah, and I mean, he was terrible, and he was just regarded as another eccentric. You know, oh, he's just eccentric, yeah. just like John Dupont. Oh, he's just an eccentric. He's yeah. not. He's not dangerous. He's just weird. He's got money, so he's good at something. So mean, he can't. You, he can't be dangerous. If you want. I guess it's also like, oh, we have to do... It's, it reminds me also, I mean, in a different way of Harvey Weinstein, where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I'll get to this point. Yeah, my, he's powerful. He's, he's influential. Powerful. If I do this, my I will get to here. And it's like, ugh. And what was an even bigger red flag with um, Phil Spector was his violence towards his female partners. Um, through his retirement decades of the 80s and the 90s, when he just kind of stopped doing music and he wasn't married anymore, in that time, it turns out that five different women who would later testify at his trial against him came forward saying that Spectre had threatened them with guns on at least one occasion. And it was always from them refusing to stay with him. Like, they didn't want to do something, so he'd pull a gun out on them. 
Um, just to mention a few, Diane Ogden said that he put a gun to her face and then he tried to sexually assault her at gunpoint. Um, Stephanie Jennings testified that Spectre had held her at gunpoint after refusing to go to his hotel suite. And then Dorothy Melvin said he drunkenly pistol whipped her with a revolver Jesus. and then threatened her with a shotgun in the same altercation. Were they at his house? Yes. And every single one of these events stopped short of a fatal encounter. But with a history of both mental illness and violent tendencies with firearms, the dam was going to break at some point. It's just so frustrating that, like, what is just so frustrating was there were so many signs of him being violent up until this point Mm -hmm. where, like, what ended up happening in 2003 never should have happened because, now, granted, I'm sure these women didn't come forward before that, Mm -hmm. but, like, come on. What was his wife's name? Well, Ron, no one Ronnie? Would, yeah. I mean, like, she had to have told the divorce lawyers something that would have, like... Yeah, but they like, don't, you know... Given a clue. Or, like, I think a lot was brushed under the rug, and that's just, like, really frustrating, because none of these things should have ever happened. It should have stopped in the 70s. But because, mm-hmm. like, people allowed this shit to just continue happening, like, ultimately, somebody died, and, like, people were traumatized. Mm-hmm. No, unfortunately, uh, we have to continue on the sad parts of this. Yeah. So wow. forgive forgive us if we're not this making This is a finale. So I, this is the first time I've cried during an episode. Yeah, season two finale. Yeah. Uh, we got to cry. Finale, um, every, every finale, we have to try to make me cry. It's a new thing. All right. That won't be hard. I'll figure something out. That's true. I'm an easy <laughs> crier. Um, but to move on. So Lana Clarkson was an actor in L.A. Uh, in her earlier years, she landed small roles in film, TV, and commercials, most notably being um, she was the lead, actually, in Barbarian Queen, which is kind of a cult classic B-movie. And she was also in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I've not seen either of those. I have seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but I was like 13, so I don't really remember it a lot. Remember her being hot? She was hot. I did look up a picture. Yeah, she, she was, was hot. hot. She was hot. She was hot even later. Yeah, no, when, like, yeah. Because by 2003, she was 40 years old. Um, and it had been harder for her to find jobs in L.A. Because in Hollywood, they just love discarding women after they get older than, what, 28? Yeah. Just, okay, we're done with you. And they keep pairing unbelievably young female leads with aging male actors who somehow find lasting power in Hollywood. Misogyny. Uh, And because of this, she had to take a job as a hostess in the aforementioned premier music club in LA, the House of Blues. And it was in the VIP of the House of Blues, the foundation room, that Clarkson unfortunately met Phil Spector on what would be the last night of her life. A friend of Spector, who had dinner with him earlier in the night, said that he was acting strangely. And that his friend had told him that he shouldn't be mixing his medication with alcohol. Advice that Phil did not heed. About two months before this, in an interview in the UK, he admitted to being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and called himself borderline insane. So Spectre's backup chauffeur, Adriano D'Souza, said that at the end of the evening, Lana Clarkson was reluctant to come home with Spectre. He was talking to her outside of the building. They have CCTV footage of it. They have CCTV footage of her agreeing, finally, and getting in the back of the limousine. Sounds like she was coerced. A little bit. Coerced. But he, like I said, he did eventually convince her to take the 40-mile trip to his so mansion. Long. It's got to be a long drive, right? 
Uh, but they arrived at the huge state in Alhambra, California at 3 a.m., at which point Specter and Clarkson entered the house through the front steps. And then after two hours of waiting, D'Souza heard that single shot and then was greeted with the visage of Specter described at the beginning of this podcast and immediately called 911. The police arrived to find an empty bottle of tequila and two cocktail glasses in the living room. And in the foyer was the lifeless body of Lana Clarkson, dead from a single gunshot to the mouth. A 38 caliber snub-nosed Colt Cobra was laying at her left side. Now, Spectre was immediately taken into custody on suspicion of murder after D'Souza told them that Spectre had said he killed somebody upon leaving the mansion. Uh, Phil, however, claimed that Lana's death had been an accidental suicide, which I'll give over to Nina to describe what so, he said. Okay, this. So I watched a movie. I think it's just called Spectre. It's called. It's called Phil Spectre. Okay, it's just called Phil Spectre with Al Pacino and Helen Mirren. Mm-hmm. And what Phil Spectre tells Helen Mirren, I don't remember her real life name, the character, the woman that she was portraying. He says in this movie, which I do think this part was not fabricated. He said that she kissed the gun so she kissed the barrel um and that it accidentally went off and it shot her and it like yeah it went off and she died why was the gun out anyway though well there's like well you're not even asking that question but i mean the gun and i think you're gonna get to this but it was it was very clear that it was not like a oh this gun just went off like i'm sorry when i kiss somebody i don't eat their whole goddamn face like when i kiss them the barrel should even if she did kiss it even if she kissed the top of the gun where the bullet comes out it would never have entered her mouth you mean the barrel right yeah because that was the thing is that um it, like the it, way it yeah. would have shot her would have been totally different yeah it didn't shoot from the outside of her mouth, because we know because her teeth and her lips... They were intact. They were they were fully intact. So, like, she couldn't have just, you know, kissed the top of it and had, you know, the wounds that happened to her. if I'm going to kiss a gun, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to kiss where the bullet comes out. Yeah. So... If I were to kiss a gun. They were drunk, though, so who knows? I mean, they were... Yeah, I mean, a whole bottle of tequila, I would be wasted. And they came from a bar, so... Right. Uh, she was working, so maybe not her. Oh, but, but you know. we worked at a bar where people drank. Yeah, well, the, you know, it's most bars. Uh, so in 2004, Spectre was ordered to stand trial in L.A. for the second-degree murder of Lana Clarkson. Spectre, though, was still allowed to live free during his trial because they negotiated a $1 million bail for him, which he obviously paid, and he was out for the whole duration of the trial, which was a long one, by the way. Also, I didn't write this in here, but his counsel was, like, crazy. He first got, like, one of the lawyers from the OJ trial, Mm -hmm. like the OJ Dream Team, to come and be his lawyer, but then he quit, so he got this guy who represented some huge mob boss in a New York trial, and then that guy, like, got sick and then quit. So then he just had to get, like, some randos after that. But his, like, his counsel quit multiple times. And he actually ended up suing that first guy. I forget his first name, but his last name's Shapiro. He sued him for, like, the million-dollar retainer to give back to him, saying that he didn't do anything for the trial. Well, I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah. I don't have any sympathy for Phil Spector. Of course not. Uh, he also never got that million dollars from him, and no one ever found in his favor. He was just suing everybody. So he was allowed to live free during the trial. Uh, which didn't start until January 2007 because there were a bunch of delays. And the judge th- did, though, say that it could be televised from start to finish. So if you want to watch the entirety of the Phil Spector 
trial, you can do it. It took years, though, so I would maybe not be interested in doing that. Uh, But the trial was immediately mired in controversy because forensic expert Henry Lee, who provided key evidence also in the O.J. Simpson trial, was accused of purposely hiding evidence, which they said like he picked up like a white object or something and said that it was either like a tooth or a fingernail, both of which would show a struggle and would have been detrimental to Phil Spector. And then he put it in and he said something like that. And then they never saw it again. Hmm. But this never amounted to anything. They argued about this for like months. And then they were just like, all right, it just didn't happen. We'll just move on. So also, uh, they did have some damning evidence against him, though. The, a coroner found bruising on Clarkson's tongue that, su- that suggested the gun was forced into her mouth. The only problem is we also know that her teeth and lips were intact. So it's going to be hard to force a gun into someone's mouth without, like, messing up their lips or their teeth. But if he, like, grabbed her face, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I honestly, like, he's a shitty person. He deserves to be in jail. I just don't know if he did it. Yeah, I will say that when we get to the end of this, we're going to present all of this information about like what the what the uh, defense and what the prosecution argued. But I'm also really up in the air. Like he could of, and he also could not of. I know that we that there's a lot of history of violence with gun violence with him. You know, and abuse and, and abuse, and he's obviously not a good guy. I could see him murdering somebody. Absolutely, I think he's one hundred percent capable of it. I just don't know if he did it this time, and why do we maybe not know? Well, Inspector's defense they showed in this trial that DNA from Lana was present on the bullets in the in the revolver, which would seem to go along with the story that she loaded it herself. Um, and they also didn't find any of Spectre's DNA under her fingernails. So that's not indicative of a struggle, which the prosecution was trying to say that they struggled, obviously, because you'd struggle against someone putting a loaded gun into your mouth. This trial, though, did result in a hung jury. Uh, the prosecution, the prosecutors originally thought about dropping it to a, a manslaughter charge. Okay. They decided not to, though, and to just go forward with a retrial um, with the second degree murder which once again dragged this whole thing out even more. So in this trial, the defense also brought up that there was little to no blood spatter on the white dinner jacket that Spectre was wearing at the time of the murder. So if you see the if you see the jacket that he was wearing, there's like some mm-hmm. there's like little drops of yeah, blood it's on just him. Droplets. But if you looked at the photos, which I did. No, I did not. Yeah, this is our thing about, like, how we always do a murder for the last one, which I do a lot of true crime stuff, but I don't know how many of you guys, and I know Nida is maybe not as well-versed in true crime, so you guys, you know, it's, it's a little squeamish. I do enjoy true crime, but I don't want to look at photos of people's faces being blown up. Yeah, so I did see them, and, she, you know, she obviously has blood on her arms and her shoulders and her whole front. But he barely has any on his jacket. That's jackets. the thing that makes me question. Yeah, it's like if you shot someone in the mouth, you would have blood and things on you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And they also, they found like brain matter like in her buttons on her jackets, which kind of does, which shows that her hands were near her face at the time. And the other thing is that they found gunshot residue on her hands, but they didn't find it on either either of the sleeves of the coat that Phil Spector was wearing or on his hands, which he obviously his hands, he could have just washed his hands. 
Right, but the sleeves. Because they do know that he washed up because they found a diaper that had Lana Clarkson's blood on it on the floor in his upstairs bathroom. And they found evidence that he tried to do a really shitty cleanup job on his stairs leading up there. Right. So he obviously cleaned something, but there's no way he cleaned a bunch of blood off of his white coat. Yeah. And the the defense also argued uh, that the angle of the bullet wound uh, was reflective of a self-induced wound. They also had a guy come on and be like, intraoral gunshots are more than 99% not homicides. Well, right. That's difficult. Because it's hard to get a gun into somebody's mouth and then shoot. you would just shoot them not in their mouth. Right. Um, and the angle was slightly upwards, which is hard to replicate. You know, and it's like you're doing it to yourself, but you would never hold a gun like that if you're shooting somebody else in the mouth. You'll hold it straight or down. Especially because she was sitting also. Yeah. Unless he was on his knees. I don't know. Yeah, and they also tried to paint this picture that Lana Clarkson was an extremely depressed person who, you know, she was a she was a hostess and she had lost all of her acting and that she would they basically painted her as like a washed up actor, which was kind of really messed up to her just picture in general. Because the other thing too, if it was an unintentional suicide, why are you doing that? You're just dragging her, like, name through the mud. Right. But you're, like, Phil Spector even said it wasn't on purpose. There are some statements that he gave to police afterwards, though, that he said, I killed her. But they tried to get them thrown out. Yeah. Which they ended up not getting thrown out. But he did, after he got picked up, he said, I think I just killed someone. And he made remarks to police officers insinuating that he had that he had killed somebody in the same vein. They also found blood... In his pants pockets, like yeah. her blood. So he, so there was blood on his hands, and then he put his hands into his pockets at some point. And they overturned one of the key points from the first trial, how they found Lana's DNA on the bullets. They found that that DNA was actually from blowback from the wound, from the gunshot. Ah, okay. So it was on the front of the bullets, okay. not like the back where you would push it put in. Put it in, okay. Um, so that was kind of refuted. So obviously... Those are basically the talking points of the, of the trial. Right. Those are the big things that and someone had hard. to look at and it's be like, did he kill her? And I just Because think, there's part of me that thinks that, yes, he did. Even though it's very weird, the whole, like, how she was sitting and, like, yeah. the fact that he doesn't have a lot of blood on him. But also, she was coerced into going to his mansion in the first place. Yeah. Then... Who like he has this tendency to pull a gun on women if mm-hmm. they don't do what he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. She very easily could have said she probably I, wanted to leave. Yeah, if she very easily could have said, "I want to go home. I don't want to have sex with you. I'm leaving. I want to leave. I don't want to be here anymore." And then he shot her. And that's when he pulled the gun. Yeah, yeah. So there's some things that point to not, and it would like. I don't know what happened. The only that's the thing with murders is that the only witness you have is also the most unreliable person to ask the murderer right. because the other person didn't survive or else right. it wouldn't be a murder. There's part of me that I mean, obviously, this would have been used if that he had had it. But him like having his house so guarded, I'm surprised the inside didn't have cameras. This was 2003. So, yeah, I guess the that's cameras true. would have been bad quality even if he did. Yeah. So you would only put them on the outside, probably not on the inside. Yeah, so I, didn't, I forgot about it. I don't know. Three. But nevertheless, with this information on the second trial on April 13th, 2009. So this trial took six years, by the way. April 13th, 2009, after 30 hours of deliberation, the jury returned a verdict. A guilty verdict. 
Inspector was immediately taken into custody and sentenced to 19 years to life for second-degree murder. Plus 10 years automatically, because in California, if you uh, get convicted of an assault that involves a firearm and you're found to have used a firearm, it automatically adds 10 years to your sentence. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Good. And also... Go fucking rot. Just another thing. Before he was convicted in 2006, he married an actress by Rochelle Short, who was like 40 years younger than him. Disgusting. Like a 26-year-old woman. Just... I don't really have a talking point on that. It's just really weird. And he did it while he was on trial for murder. Because the murder, like, Lana Clarkson was shot in 2003. And he married this woman in 2006. And he got convicted in 2009. I think she does have all her her stuff now, though. So, I mean, get it, girl. You married married an imprisoned man and then took his stuff. I guess. Yeah, I guess. It's weird. I have a lot of thoughts about it. It doesn't matter. I also would not marry someone who is on trial for murder. I don't know. Maybe I'd marry someone. It depends. What? I'm saying. I'm saying. I'm leaning heavily to no. But no, what if they if really? He's what if they to really be didn't do it? We have a, but yo, if yes, he's proven to be violent, like why would you? No, that's specific to this. You're saying you wouldn't marry Phil Spector, but someone could be on trial for murder and not be a murderer. Well, correct. Just because they're on trial doesn't mean that they're guilty. Yeah, I still would be not. I still would be very hesitant. Well, of course. That's why I'm saying I'm leading heavily. No, not it's, but it's not I'm just for sure. No. Um, so Spectre served 12 years of that 19 to life sentence uh, because on January 16th, 2021, he died in prison due to complications arriving from COVID-19. Good. It took a, it, it took, a, it took an okay one. This Justice. Time. Uh, and he still maintained his innocence to the end. It still looked like a fucked up Muppet because they didn't let him have the wigs You know, prison. he did look like so, that one Muppet. So he's just bald in the middle, right? And mm-hmm. it's got like the creepy straight black hair, which look up pictures of this guy because... He's scary. Yeah, it's creepy. Even when he's younger, like the pictures are creepy. There's like one of him like standing over a mixing board and he just looks like intense, like his eyes are staring at you. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, this no, guy's I'm creepy. Good. I'm really good. <laughs> I'm super good. So... In conclusion, money can make you feel like you can own the world. Like you can do anything you want without consequences. We put people with money on a pedestal. As winners of capitalism, we deify them so much that oftentimes we forget that they are people just like us. That they can have feelings, and in cases such as this, they can have faults. Mental illness is not something that can be discarded simply with money. And Phil Spector showed a detailed history of violence and mental illness and a fascination with firearms, but it was disregarded as him being another eccentric millionaire. And if we fail to see these people as just that, people, then we are doomed to let this repeat in the future. So please, if you know someone dealing with mental illness or someone who has violent tendencies, say something. Get them help. Because if you do, you never know whose life you might save from getting cut tragically short like that of Lana Clarkson. So thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. It was a somber one. Is ending on a somber tone um, as our last season finale did, too. Because like I said here, we don't talk about murders all that often. No. Unfortunately, we've been talking about a lot of sexual assault recently. Yeah, I don't like it. I think it's just part of 
people who have money, like yeah. like I just mentioned, they think they can do whatever they want. No, yeah, it's and true. they'll take advantage of someone because they don't see other people. They see everything as an object that they can manipulate instead right. of other people. Right. You know, they lose empathy. You have to lose empathy to be a good business person a lot of the time. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we have to do that. But Gross. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see if we can get some. Get some funny bits here in the end. I don't. I don't. I don't know I if don't we will. We Nina's did. been crying too much to be funny. I didn't even. I only cried for like three minutes. That's enough. Okay. That's enough. That's all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, this is the season finale. Uh, the end of season two. Yes, wrapping up season two. I can't believe it, man. I can't believe it. This was just a. You know, Kashad came up to me one day at work. I was pouring some waters behind the bar on the soda gun, and he was like, "Hey." I got this idea for a podcast. I want you to do it with me. I was like, all right, fine. And then we did it. And um, here we are. And we kept, up season and two. Then we kept doing it for 20 times. Yeah. With more to come. With more to come. Uh, so just like the end of the first season, we're going to be taking another couple weeks off. Yeah. Um, so we won't be back for another two weeks, but we do have some stuff that's going to drop uh, in yeah. that space. Um, so we'll still be giving you guys content, just not full length episodes for the next two weeks. Yeah. Um, but if, if you want to keep supporting us right now, we'd love if you drop by uh, our analytics show that 80% of you right now or more are listening on iTunes and iTunes has a review system. So we'd love it if you drop by and leave us a review. Of course, we love a five-star review. We, we love to see that 3.2 come up to something else. Uh, but if that's not what you want to leave, an honest review, um, giving us talking points that we can improve upon, we'll also take that. Oh, yeah. We love to improve. Uh, you can also keep supporting us through our social media, mm-hmm. uh, facebook.com slash white collars, red hands. Uh, you can follow us at Twitter at white collars pod. You can follow us on Instagram at white collars underscore red hands. You can head over to um, the Entertainment Buffet YouTube channel, which hosts all of our podcasts in video format every week. Uh, you can give them a like and a subscribe. That would help us out a lot or uh, like our videos even on there. That'd be great for us, too. So, yeah, I think that's everything. So I think it is. Thanks, guys, for listening. Um, we are. We're, I'm very happy with how things have been going. We're very honored. Yeah. To have so many listeners. So thank you so much. Yeah, to just start off and have you guys listen to us every week. We love seeing it. It makes us really feel good. It does. About what we're doing. And also it's just fun for us to produce something. Yeah. It's, and to learn. Yeah. I really, me personally. We've learned a lot. Yeah, I love learning just in general. So every week to sit down and learn a bunch about another topic to do this podcast is great. And I hope that we can pass some of that off to you. Yeah. Through it. At least be entertaining at the very minimum. Yeah, a little bit when we're not not crying and talking about murders. I've cried one time. Yeah, it was enough. Uh, I swear we'll get back (laughs) to talking about some frauds uh, next next week. No. In three weeks. Time we make a new episode. Yeah. But until then, we'll see you next time on another season of White Collars, Red Red Hands. Hands.